Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season three, we focus on small and big changes that will advance our well-being, personal and professional lives. On today's episode, we discuss ego. Ego. We're asking ourselves whether a belief in our own importance could be our greatest weakness. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Well-timed with the song again. Hello, Darlene. Nice. Uh, Hello. Happy Friday. Very happy Friday to you. How are things so far this morning? Things are great. Just brushing up on a little uh, stoic philosophy here. Of course, as we all do. (laughs) As you do on Friday morning in preparation for your lawyerly podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, on the other hand, uh, spent some time this morning raking leaves. Nice. I need to do that. I find that relaxing in a strange way. I like it until you have to put the leaves into something. I know. That's that's the worst part. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Someone needs to make a better system for that. That could be your gripe. Uh, I have, yeah, I have thoughts. But I'm sure that people will, that I'll start my own leaf gathering podcast and really get into it, you know. Right. Uh, I'm sure the people listening today don't really care about how I feel we can dispose of leaves better. That would be a real hit, the Leaf Gathering Podcast. Welcome to the Leaf Gathering Podcast, <laughs> where we seek to navigate our leaves with a little less stress, <laughs> and ideally. Could be a niche audience. I think so. Even more niche than the lawyer audience, but anyway. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, we should say, um, we recorded a live episode last week of the podcast. Mm-hmm. How about that? That was That was big. At Osgood Hall Law School, uh, which was a lovely place. Uh, when we were hosted, there was pizza, uh, yeah. as there should be when you're uh, back at a law school, I think. Overall, it was really fun. And we uh, we achieved our goal of doing a live episode. That's right. the year. So that was great. I okay. do believe that was my goal, Darlene. And oh, my ego right. is going to say that I was successful. Oh, you're so right. That was your goal. Yeah. So good. We're talking about ego today. Um, and mainly we're talking about ego because of a book that you read and, and, and put on to me to read called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Great book. Yes, it is a great book. He wrote a bunch of books. So it's a part of a, a series. It's Ego is the Enemy is, is this book that we we read. He's also written Obstacle is the Way, Stillness is the Key, and The Daily Stoic. So he's got a bunch of books. In addition, he has other books in a different vein, but um, he's a prolific guy with interesting thoughts. His background, he's still like a young, he's a young whippersnapper still. But basically, his whole bit is he caught success pretty early, whatever, like lead marketing at American Apparel, had a great mentor. But then uh, things started to fall down around him, right? And he came to the conclusion that a lot of, uh, you know, the foundational reasons why, you know, people he admired and and other things in his life were falling down uh, mainly was uh, ego. Yeah. And I think why I thought it would be relevant to talk about on the podcast as part of our high performance season is I think he presents this really great take on the issue. Um, We're so bombarded in our media with 
these these stories of these hard driving ego driven people. And he uses the example in the book of Steve Jobs, one of my favorites, as we talk about on this podcast. Yeah, um, we're always a little perplexed by your admiration of Steve Jobs. <laughs> but interestingly, he says that these ego driven people like even he says Steve Jobs specifically, and he also says Kanye West. Um, but he says these ego driven people actually accomplished their best things in moments where the ego was down. I was like, Oh, that explains it a little bit, because I too, don't support, you know, the more like narcissistic, uh, angry behaviors from that are well publicized. It's more for me, the other stuff that I'm that I think is great about Steve Jobs. Anyway, the thing that I thought was so great is that he really spells out, look, we hear that this is a great thing. We're constantly pointed to role models that are, you know, we think are successful because of their ego. And then he he provides this counterpoint of showing a whole bunch of people who are successful because they put their ego aside, um, which you don't hear as much in our popular culture today. Yeah. By nature of not stroking the ego, you often become a person in the background. Um, he, he defines ego as an unhealthy belief in our own importance. And I one of the things in the intro that I really loved, um, I think he's quoting another individual, um, and it basically saying the ability to evaluate your own ability is your most important skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, effectively, that ego d- allows you, you know, distracts you from from actually understanding what your own abilities are. And that can have negative effects. He says that ego has cost people that he admires millions of dollars and rolled them back from goals just as they achieved them. Um, so it's especially in our profession, which I think that, you know, certainly promotes uh, this idea of separateness of, uh, you know, being high, high achieving individuals that aren't necessarily like all the other folks can can lead. Uh, I think it can lead lawyers to building an ego that can cause problems at, at times, certainly, and can distract from uh, fulfillment from success that uh, individuals actually um, want want to achieve, you know, the outcomes that they want to get to, you know, and, and can cause failures that don't have to occur. Well, and why I thought to the interest, this made me really reflect on, you know, a topic we've, we've kind of circled back to a fair bit, just due to the belief in the importance of it for lawyers. The thing about law school, in particular, is you go in as a success. That's how you, you know, you've had a bunch of successes on the sort of the things that society says are important, like grades and things like that. You start law school from that premise. And then, so by definition, like all people who go to higher education are starting from this perspective of I'm a success, look what I'm doing. And there's a really great quote in here that I think is worth reading. Um, Page 14, he says, with success, comes the temptation to tell oneself a story, to round off the edges, to cut out your lucky breaks and add a certain mythology to it all. It's a type of storytelling mm-hmm. in which eventually your talent becomes your identity and your accomplishments become your worth. I loved that because I think that's in part what kind of locks lawyers in to this idea that, oh, well, because I've been successful, I have to do all these things. I have to stay right. on this this path that I'm on or it would be a waste or whatever the, the personal narrative is. Um, but that's why it's so important to just question that and say, well, is it tr- like, 
is my success at age 22 determinative and defining and does it point me down a certain path? Yeah. That's that's what I thought was a the lawyerly hook that brings us to talk about this book as part of our high performance season. And the author basically breaks the book down in three different parts. Um, one is about being humble in your aspirations. One is about being gracious in your success. And the third is about being resilient in your failures. And the humble in your in in aspirations bit, I really, really enjoyed. And there's a great story about uh, a gentleman named John Boyd, who uh, was in the U.S. military. He's a fighter jet pilot, worked at the Pentagon. Um, not not somebody that, you know, books normally write about. Uh, but he had a philosophy and, and spoke a lot about to uh, his mentees about you, you either you have a choice to make. And the choice is to be or to do. And basically what he was getting at there uh, is that, you know, you can have a goal and just decide to do the stuff that superficially looks like um, you're meeting that goal. So you, you know, you have a title, you're making money um, and all that, you know, has the has the outward trappings of, oh, look at that person. They, you know, they're so great. That's to be. To do is actually to decide that you're going to do the work necessary to achieve your goals, your personal aims, and not be looking outwardly and take on those outward indicators of success, but actually just follow your path. In that way, when you do, when you are the to-do person, you're more likely to be self-satisfied, to not have to compromise. You avoid other people's pressures. Um, and in the end, you're far more likely to leave. I really I, I really enjoyed that that part. And I think it aligns with um, a lot of what we've talked about uh, in this podcast. Were there other uh, pieces from that uh, section about being humble in your aspirations that caught your eye? I mean, it spoke to me. It definitely spoke to me. So much of this book spoke to me because I think it, it just was like reading a really, uh, you know, well-researched, backed-up um, s- sort of history slash narrative of of something that I I just find to be such an interesting topic. Um, the humble and the aspirations thing, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm always sort of saying, okay, like, what do I need to do as opposed to what is, um, you know, what you might be pressured to do. And I think for everyone, again, that always looks different. Um, And I do think that you can also, you can be in a big title and a role and do if it's the right thing for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Um, I think the the error is thinking one leads to the other. So if you're in a big fancy title and you are just kind of biding your time and not actually using it to do the thing you know you're supposed to do, then it's a problem, right? So I don't, he doesn't really say that specifically, I don't think. Yeah, that was distilled, I think, as well with a quote that comes later in the book from Angela Merkel. It's that you can't solve tasks with charisma. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the to be side is that ego stroking side where it's less substance and more sizzle, right? Or more stake or more sizzle and less stake, uh, right. as they talk about later in the book. And the to do people are actually the folks who have done the hard work without seeking necessarily all the acclaim, you know, and they're the ones that solve problems. And one of the things in that section as well that I thought was interesting, and I want, I want to get your thoughts on, because it, it speaks to, I think, early careers in law, 
uh, is the canvas strategy that, that he promotes. And basically, the author is saying that when you start out, especially, but you can do this at any point in your career, um, you can decide to help other people in the background, allow them to take credit, um, do the good work, and whoever you know gets the accolades, it doesn't matter, especially if you're helping um, your superiors, right? So, um, and what he's getting at there is, let's take early days in law, for example, you know, if you've done great research and you've come to a great conclusion and you hand it up to your senior partner, if you subscribe to the Canvas strategy, you don't care who gets the uh, credit after that. You just know that you've done the work. And if you continue to be valuable in the background, um, that will pay dividends in the long run. You know, you will become indispensable. You will become the expert in that area and so on. Um, instead of being the person who at every turn wants to be the front-facing individual that gets the credit. Um, because in that example, in his view, that leads you to kind of have a target on your back at times and perhaps also stretches you into places where you're not necessarily prepared um, or uh, or as well-read uh, or as able to, um, to do the good work that you've done in the background under the Canvas strategy. So this, I, I think in some ways, you know, and he confronts this a little bit, but this does promote the, you know, put your head down, be a good soldier sort of, you know, um, don't self-promote, uh, don't cause a fuss sort of narrative that I think a lot of people who are in their career, uh, young lawyers uh, get and, and people later in their careers as well in, in certain places. And I think there's negatives to that. I happen to be a canvas strategy person, I think. Um, and I and I did like it and I subscribed to it, but I could see how other people wouldn't like it. Um, so where do you come down on that? Well, I'm, I certainly am the type of person that would just jump in and do the the work for sure. I'm glad that he put that in here because I think there's some, from my perspective, some poor advice out there right now, which is kind of, you know, make sure you're always focused on where your career is headed so that you're getting the the brass ring and you're getting the credit and stuff like that. Um, and I think that comes off. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe that works sometimes. It wouldn't work for me. Like to me, it's all about let's pitch in Let's see how we accomplish our joint goals. Um, and I want to help people and I want people to have like their own take on what is important to them. But it's it gets very tired very quickly if someone's like, well, how does that help me? Like, how, how is that good for me? And what, what, what you're asking me, how's that yeah. good for me? That's really annoying. So <laughs> I see a lot of kind of advice being given to people who are just starting out in their career that, you know, make sure that if there's office housework happening Make sure you're not doing most of it, um, you know, for women and for people who are um, not, as we've discussed in past episodes, like historically privileged in the workplace or are slightly outside what the workplace usually demands. Some of these things might seem like, you know, not a path to success. That hasn't been my experience. And I think it really attitude. When, when I was a kid, my dad was always telling me, it's your attitude, not your aptitude that determines your altitude. <laughs> oh, oh my man. gosh. I didn't see the altitude part coming. That's next level. Oh, if I had a loony for every time just, just to be Canadian, to, that I have heard that statement. Um, but it is true. Like attitude can go so far. And the other, the thing about the the good attitude is like, you don't know what plans people have for you. I mean, I was always very lucky to have great bosses that, you know, saw that and, and did good things with it. 
Um, and I think if you are having a good attitude, you really can never lose. You might get to the point where it's not getting you where you deeply feel you need to go and you have to make a change, but I don't think it's a losing strategy. Is that what you thought I would say? Yeah, I'm not surprised by your answer. I think that in you, you highlight the thing that I was kind of teasing at before too. It's, it's, I think it's easier for me to be like, yeah, the canvas strategy is good because of the position I'm in. Um, whereas if I was a racialized person or, a, you know, a minor, minority in the workplace, uh, you know, a woman, these things I think are a bit, you know, it's, it's a bit more complicated to always be the one that's, you know, producing the most and giving your ideas away without seeing something come back. The be a team player sort of message from management um, can be used strategically to keep people in certain positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's more likely to come if you are uh, not a, a white male. So I think the canvas strategy bit is very good. Don't try to feed your ego. Just do the good work. Be generous with your work. Try to help other people, especially, um, you know, your bosses do their jobs well. I think that's all really important. You know, do the work no one else wants to do, all that. But as you're saying, there is a threshold where you have to uh, come to understand, you know, am I... Am I giving too much and is it causing a problem for my life? And I think that's different than um, bringing your ego into it. I think that's a separate Yeah, and also people have to do what they're great at. So if someone, you know, I personally, um, I would rather be doing the work that maybe isn't as high profile within a company, but is helping people or is solving a problem that is going to, in the long term, save people a lot of hours or, you know, I really thrive on that. Um, if I didn't thrive on it, maybe my advice would be different. But I also, um, I think sometimes the big ego deals or the big, the big reward, big recognition deals, they're also very stressful, you know? So some of these things where you're going for, um, certain results in the workplace, it really is just always a constant barometer of like, is that something that's gonna, is that right for me? Or is it just what I'm told is important? And I think ego will always tell you that the promotion is important or being at the front is important. Um, but not always, you know, I, mean, I think it's a really complicated topic. Um, and I do think that there is a risk of being kind of um, the person who's always doing the low value work. That's a little different. If you're constantly doing low value work, it can mean that you're, you know, people think that's all you can do. And that, that isn't great. So, I mean, I think in my, in the example I'm talking about, it's been a mix, you know, it's been the willingness to do the, the less prestigious work and the work that is, has higher value, if that makes sense. So I don't know that there's a one size fits all, but I think some of the business advice I'm seeing is like ones, it, it assumes it's one size fits all. And frankly, it devalues um, some of the work that I think if you're good at, it is valuable to a company. Like, I don't think a company can subsist with only the high value work. It just can't. There's a lot that goes into a company or a firm or any organization being successful. And um, I, I'm just kind of nervous about any advice that's like, oh, if you're doing the the low value work or the, the it bugs me when it's called office housework, although um, just because it's a similar devaluing of, of work around the house. You're right. Yeah. yeah. In the office. I don't, I don't love to buy into that because I'm like, no, no, it's valuable, valuable work. 
you may not get promoted because of yeah. it, but hasn't been my experience. That's the work that keeps everything afloat, right? That's that's the interesting thing. And it takes humble people to do that work because it's it it is it is expectation work, right? It's it's just the work that's necessary for everything else to go on. So it, it doesn't come with a claim because it's maintenance, right? Um, but you, I, I, talking about success, um, one, I really like the one section um, uh, called Beware of the Disease of Me. And I am being, this is very Darlene of me. It made me think of the word disease dis-ease. differently. Mm-hmm. Um, dis-ease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very Darlene uh, analysis. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, it gives the example, uh, so the basketball coach, Pat Riley, and talking about like the ascent of winning teams. And he said, basically, there's an innocent climb where we're all in this together and we're, you know, hardworking people. Um, and then you win if you're lucky. And then what comes in his view is the dis- dis-ease, or disease of me where e- because you won, y- you now have an ego. Um, this disease of me is the beginning to think that we're better, that we're special that our problems and experiences are so incredibly different from everybody else's that no one could possibly understand. And so with success, if we allow the ego to be fed, comes this separateness and this specialness that we give to ourselves, which obviously um, has substantial drawbacks. Oh, man, so much good advice. So many little gems in here, right? Like from whatever context you're interested in, there's sports, there's military, there's political, there's um, just a really, there's the philosophers from ancient Greece, like he goes deep with this stuff. And I think that's what's so interesting is that it's, it's long in the 100s, not the 2000s, people knew these things, you know, and they're still, we still haven't Mm -hmm. fully twigged to them as a society you know, it's okay to be the least important person in a room. I'm, I'm fine with it. It's fine. You know, I think it's where I, where I kind of um, really take instruction from this book is do the thing for the reasons that you're doing it. You know, don't do it because you want recognition. Don't do it because you need to be in the right room or with the right person or with the right client. Just do it because it's the right thing to do every day, you know, little bit at a time um that's that's what i take from this yeah and he just he does focus on like you need to know what's important to you and that's how we started this season mm-hmm. um and that will make sure that you're chasing the right stuff uh and that you're accomplishing the most that you are able to accomplish where you choose to be accomplishing things and not getting distracted by um you know the bright shiny thing that uh, that comes with uh, the traditional view of success. Well, and didn't you find that you feel better about that as an option? Like, it's one thing for us to talk about that and say that. But when you read the book, and it talks about, like, military generals that we've always heard of, or maybe you haven't heard of, but you knew, you know about the achievement that happened. Um, and you t- it talks about how their approach was successful. And I just, to me, it's just the stories. Sometimes the stories are so important because we just don't hear them. You don't hear the stories of the, you know, people call it the unsung hero for a reason. (laughs) Like you're doing it for the thing, not for the acclaim. And you may never get acclaim for the things that you do. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, I guess. It's so much of those stories are about like Mm -hmm. self-regulation and discipline. 
right? And that's not great fodder for storytelling. You want like the brash, passionate leader that goes out on a limb and makes a hard, you know, makes a decision that happened to work out and isn't that interesting. But uh, like in the book, one thing that comes to mind on the subject is uh, the story about DeLorean, the car yes. company, this guy worked at GM and hated all the rigor and thought it was killing creativity and goes out and makes his own car company. And it's a disaster because he didn't manage himself or the company. Like there was not management. There wasn't discipline. There wasn't regulation. It was, uh, I think one of the uh, quotes in the book was that he, it was management by, uh, what was it? Like hitting brightly colored balloons. Like it was just like whatever came their way. They were just like this now, this now, this now, this now. And the, I think one of the major bits about this book is being a person that uh, is fulfilled requires a lot of um, discipline, of knowing who you are, what's important to you, and staying on that track, not getting distracted, and not allowing other sort of incentives um, to get in your way. To that point, why? Like, why practice discipline? And this is sort of, I think, gets into the failure um, part of the book where he deals with why do failures happen for people with big egos, partially from lack of discipline. You know, why are you practicing to be disciplined? Why are you trying to get mastery over your emotions? Why are you trying to focus on, um, you know, making it's the things we talk about on this podcast, like making sure your mental game is at the best that it can be because you do not know when you're going to be forced into a decision that is way outside your comfort zone and you're going to need it. And he talks about like Napoleon, who we all hear about as this great general and the way that he sort of frames him going into his last battle is just like this colossal failure of ego and like over, over confidence in his abilities and stuff like that. And I think that's a big example of something that we could all fall victim to really in anything just making the wrong calculation and getting too full of ourselves. So um, I, I think that was helpful to me just to be like a, a clear encapsulation of why discipline matters. Like people, when you hear the term stoic, which is book is largely based on stoic philosophy, you think they're doing it just to like be, have a hard life. That's well, kind of my, my uh, personal take on what stoicism was about. Um, but they're not doing that. They're doing it because they believe that it is sort of easier to get to virtue through hard work than to just kind of be, you know, distracted, as you were saying earlier, by kind of the fruits of all of these pursuits, like the the sort of um, material side or the the status or the title or whatever. So, um, yeah, that that to me was really useful for a sort of endpoint of like, okay help lawyers deal with success, help them understand, help anyone really. I mean, this is a extremely broad, broadly applicable book. But you know, understand that if you've been successful, it's the result of a whole bunch of things. Some of them may have nothing to do with you. You know, like this is the privilege discussion. Some of them may have a ton to do with you. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep doing those things forevermore. Um, maybe, maybe you just look at it as okay, this is what I did. And now I'd like to do this. I've got the I've got the framework. I'm going to go do this other thing, or I love this. I'm going to keep doing exactly what's made me successful. I'm going to keep plugging away. 
um, and that can work. But then the failure side is just about, okay, if I fail, so if I get fired, if I, um, you know, lose out on something I was hoping to, to get, it's not, it's the same thing. It's like, don't get too excited about the success and don't get too fussed about the failure. And that's, that's the big arc that I think is so relevant and helpful. It's kind of a summary of sorts. Yeah, there's a there's just like general kind of control element here of just if you do stay on your path, um, the successes and the failures won't really take you too far off of it because it's about the path and the work and not the mm-hmm. outcomes. Um, and the more I think about it, I mean, it's mentioned this, in this book a little bit. It feels like so much of life really comes down to that marshmallow test that you know that famous study mm-hmm. with the kids this book i think is like it, it similar like the you know the kid they study these kids they put a marshmallow in front of them and they're like you can eat this marshmallow right now yeah <laughs> right here's a great reward sitting in front of you the ego is like what sort of sucker wouldn't just eat this marshmallow right now there's a it's sitting there right or you know a certain amount of time passes you just sit don't eat the marshmallow and then you'll get two marshmallows and and so if you can just hang on and not let your ego be like take it now take it now you need this blah 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 blah. you know this is what you need this is like you know this is going to be great it's going to taste so good it's going to feel so good and if you just sit and think well i don't like i didn't even know that there was a marshmallow in this room until this person put it in front of me now all of a sudden it's so important to me like what is that about oh my gosh but uh, you know i'll just chill i'll be myself and if someone wants to give me two marshmallows down the road for just you know continuing to do what i was doing before great you know i'm just gonna continue to be me and not be distracted by this you know tasty treat object and so i'm just gonna live my marshmallow life now darlene i'm just gonna be a marshmallow person (laughs) don't care about the marshmallow is the message really it's not about the marshmallow it's about you um and what you what you actually want to do it's about the discipline discipline to ignore the marshmallow (laughs) yeah and also uh, really (laughs) if someone just if you didn't know what a marshmallow tasted like and someone put it in front of you would you even think it was tasty that's right it look it's a it's a weird food focus on how you don't usually eat marshmallows look at the big marshmallow lobby is going to come after us who likes marshmallows anyway? Don't eat it. <laughs> Don't care about marshmallows. All right. Uh, I'm glad that we got there. That's really where I wanted to get to uh, on this ego episode today. Um, we're going to go for a break, and we will be back after that with our goods and grapes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and grapes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and grapes are things that annoy us. Uh, Darlene. Okay, so my good, um, yeah. recommended by our friend friend of the pod, Catherine Chang. She twigged me to this podcast uh, called The Anxious Achiever, 
which I really uh, am enjoying. I've listened to a couple of episodes. But more than just the existence of the podcast is just the idea of people speaking about anxiety um, publicly and talking about it as a real thing. I mean, I think it's the modern the modern state of a lot of people. There's a lot to be anxious about. But I think it's uh, what's refreshing about the podcast is that throughout she will talk about topics and then say, because of my anxiety, this is how I deal with these things sort of thing, which I, I just always welcome any move towards speaking openly about um, challenges. So that's my good. Do you want to do your good? And then we can gripe together because I have a legit gripe today. Okay, cool. I like it. My, my, uh, my gripe or my good, sorry. Uh, my good is that, uh, yeah, we met our goal, our goal collectively uh, uh, of having a live podcast recording, which was really fun. And I'd like to do it was really fun. That was good. Yes, that is a good meeting goals is good. I'm not sure if I have. Uh, I think my goal was to post on social media three times a week. I think I've done it over both Interalia and the Lawyer Life pod, but I'd have to go back and re-listen. I think the goal originally was three times about the Lawyer Life pod. And I'm not sure that we have achieved that. Uh, yeah, I mean... Perhaps I should go back and spend the last month doing it three times a week. <laughs> I feel like, oh, goodness. Speaking of, actually, l- let me say this. Speaking of doing things that are important to you and fulfill you, Darlene, I don't know if it's important that you meet that goal. I would agree. I think I go through these times where I, I aspire to be better at social media. <laughs> and then, you know, the fact is being on social media takes something as well as like it has a purpose, obviously, um, but it is really time consuming and um, draws you into these ecosystems that you have to, it's pretty hard to post on social media without being on social media. Anyway, you know, my thoughts on that. I from- And we just talked about this. I just deactivated my Twitter account. Deactivated. It's gone. No more. I'm off. It's done. Wow. Yeah. Like deleted. Yeah. Gone. There's no more account. Hmm. It's over. When? How long has this been the case? Uh, An hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So perhaps too early to uh, get a temperature check on how this is changing your world. But it would be good to hear about that next week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would love to hear about it. Okay, cool. I will Next follow week. up. Yeah. Okay. I have a short gripe, and you can then gripe away after that. My gripe is uh, bad pens. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you could resolve that one fairly easily. Uh, that staples. Yeah, I don't know. Why make them? I don't want... And then you, you wind up, someone hands you a pen. It's a bad pen. I just want my pens to work and be, I like the ones that, you know, are kind of smooth and flowy. Right. Mm. Okay. That was a a classic Mike Anderson grape. Yeah. I have a almost Mike Anderson level grape. (sighs) I spent, because I use like traditional uh, iPhone, um, like the white headphones to plug into my mic for this podcast. I spent a good nine minutes detangling. (laughs) phone wire before this call and then some listening would say get airpods well i have airpods too and i spend a lot of time on the phone in a typical day and around you know three o'clock every day from fully charged airpods 
I am getting the like boop, 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 boop while I'm on my conference calls and trying to do the big switch of the headphones. Um, it's almost driving me to be a landline person. I might get a landline just because but of the headphone how does issue. That, how does that change? Well, then you can like hold the phone. But like I might hold, get a proper, like a rotary phone. dial. I'm going to get a rotary dial phone and use oh, that for wait, my wait, calls. Wait, but you can just hold your cell phone. It gets so hot. I don't like holding the <laughs> cell phone on my ear. Don't you find this? Like some of our calls yeah, are like an hour. It gets all oily from your face. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. That might be just... <laughs> <laughs> That's just that me? That would be its own gripe. But it just is so... It's not It's not good. There's no... Anyway. There are... I'm going to send you a thing. I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas. An untangleable headphone? No. Why? No, oh. no. Okay. I feel like I want to tell the audience. Can you take your headphones off for a second? And just not listen to me? <laughs> okay, I'm not going to listen. Okay. Okay, audience, I'm going to get Darlene, this weird thing I saw online, which is, um, it's like a thing you plug in to your your cell phone, uh, but it's actually like the way uh, a normal phone's top is that you would like actually hold to your ear. So then she gets the benefits of having that thing without the drawback of the landline. Okay. Um, okay, Darlene, you can come back. <laughs> okay, I could, I could hear you because I think you were yelling. That's funny. Well, just okay. at the end there. Well, I look Don't forward to whatever to that was. Don't listen to the goods and gripes of this episode because okay. I tell you what I I'm going to get you. I'll get you other <laughs> stuff. It won't just be that. Oh, my God. You don't have to get a Christmas present. This is, uh, this is not, anyway, this is not a requirement. However, I guess that's it for our episode. <laughs> that was my longest gripe, maybe. I feel no, sort of, not at all. It was no? uh, anywhere. No, the other you've you've had more. Uh, it was my longest long mic style gripe. Right, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, the superficial gripe. Okay. Well, great chat. Thank you for this. Uh, we will talk soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast, and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.